We're going to be in Psalm 16. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 16. We're going to be going through the whole psalm. And so we'll be in Psalm 16, reading verses 1 through 11. So if you would, as we do, uh, uh, please rise and give honor to God's word as I read it. As I rear it, whatever that means. (sighs) I get my summer summer sabbatical from preaching. It's good. All right. Um, Hear God's word for God's people. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Verse 9, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, and you will, not, and you will let your Holy Ones see corruption, or let your see your Holy Ones see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hands are pleasures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Father, that last verse is one of my favorite verses. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forever. There are many in this room right now that are seeking out, what is your plan for my life? What is the path that I must take? Lord, you make it clear to us that the path is us to be underneath and in your presence. When we delight ourselves in you, then you will give us the desires of our hearts. So I pray this morning, that those that are seeking an answer, a wisdom to a question on where to go with their life or how to do something at a job or what to share with a friend or a family member, Lord, that they would, they would first and foremost pray and seek you. They would seek you and seek your wisdom. They would ask and seek and knock. And Lord, we can ask and seek and knock and you hear each one of our prayers because of Christ. Lord, because of the great sacrifice, the great high priest, who is interceding for us. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, make known to everyone in this room the path of life. And that path of life begins with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, then informed by his word, empowered by your spirit. So Lord, thank you this morning as we give word and attention uh, to Psalm 16. Please use Chad as he uh, is a vessel to be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. (laughs) Don't. Thank you. I got to take a deep breath. Being with you guys is great and sweet and amazing. Um, I know most of you. Most of you know me, but if you just joined this church in the last seven months, as Aaron said, I'm Chad. I was here for three years, but it felt like four or five. <laughs> wish it was four or five. I, I wish I was on the plant team with you guys, but, um, and I was the, um, the intern here for, for two years, and it's been um, 
I've missed you guys a lot. And um, heavy-hearted greetings from Audrey and Ada. Um, Ada's very sick. She was in the emergency room this morning at 4 a.m. She's fine, but she just couldn't breathe well from a croupy cough, and it was kind of scary. So um, pray for Audrey and Ada, please. And if you're friends with Audrey and you have her phone number, say hi. Because we were so looking forward to being here together with you guys this week. And uh, she doesn't get to me. My heart's going out to her right now. So, Audrey, we love you. We get to practice being delighted in God. And uh, as much as we delight in this great gift of the Crossing Church. So, um, I, am, I am overjoyed to be with you guys. Um, you guys know how I feel about you. If, you. if you've been here for, if you've known me. Um, this is a really fun series, Greatest Hits. Uh, I've been listening. I have the podcast still on my phone. I, I keep up with all your sermons. It's always food for my soul. I've listened to Beck's sermon, Matt's sermon, Rich's sermon, and Tyler's sermon in this series. Aaron asked me to preach like two months ago, and uh, it's been the highlight of my summer, and I'm, I'm just in the moment now. Even if this is just a horrible sermon, being with you guys has been something we have so been looking forward to, and now me and Audrey vicariously through me. But he said, it's, it's called Greatest Hits, so I want you to preach your favorite passage. And I thought, well, crap. I preached my favorite passage to you guys December 26th. My last sermon, I preached Romans 8. So that's my favorite one. I'm going to end with that. But the truth is, as many of you, uh, we have many favorite passages in the Bible. Aaron just said Psalm 16 is one of his favorites. It's, it's many of ours. So it was an easy choice for me. I didn't waver on it. I said Psalm 16 is going to be it. And what's funny is as I've been studying and meditating on this, I realized I preached pretty much this same sermon to you guys a year ago from Psalm 84. <laughs> So I do, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, to be happy in God, to be satisfied in God, and it's all over the Bible. So don't worry, I didn't just re-preach, I'm not re-preaching Psalm 84, but it's just everywhere. So I know Aaron just prayed, but if you guys would join me in a quick word of prayer before we get in. Heavenly Father, we love you, we adore you, we thank you for your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. I thank you so much for the Crossing Church and pray your continued blessing over this church. I pray that you'd continue to enable them to live for your glory and to make disciples of Jesus Christ for your glory and their joy and other people's joy. We do declare, Lord, that you have put more joy in our hearts than the world has when their grain and wine abounds. You are our supreme satisfaction and we, we praise you for giving your Son to draw us into satisfaction in you. Lord, I, as I've studied this week, and even now I take a moment, and I pray that those would, who are hearing me would take a moment and remember the things that we used to seek for satisfaction and salvation. And oh, how sorrows multiplied when we pursued those things. And we praise you for the joy you've given us in Christ. And I pray, Lord, as Aaron said, that you'd use me uh, that I would just be uh, an instrument, a mouthpiece, and you'd get all the glory and you'd get me out of the way. And pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, King, Treasure. Amen. <clears throat> Someone once said that God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy in Him. I love that, and I agree. I know many of you agree. I know your pastors agree. The question is, our affections, or as Jonathan Edwards has made famous, our religious affections essential to Christianity? 
our happiness, joy, delight in God, icing on the cake of our relationship with Him or essential to it? Before the great day of my salvation, I don't think I would have known how to answer that or I would have answered in the negative. I maybe would have said that following Christ is a duty. It's full of rules that seem mostly meant to prevent me from being happy. But in March of 2013, I was made alive. I was born again, and I received a joy that I can barely comprehend. That, as you said, you get goosebumps when you sing songs about it. I really can barely put to words the joy that I received in March of 2013 and have continued it, only grown in, grown in. After almost 10 years of following Jesus, being obsessed with the Word of God and sitting under great preaching like the men in this church, I believe the testimony of God through the Scriptures and especially through Psalm 16 is yes. Delight in God is essential. And if you're visiting here this morning or if you've been here a while and you don't follow Jesus, I just want to encourage you right now to think about what you're seeking for satisfaction. I'm not going to retell my story. You, most of you have heard it, but I've been there and done that. A lot of people in here have. You can think back to what you sought for salvation and satisfaction and ask yourself, is, is this really satisfying me? Because I don't believe it is. Because you're made for God and you'll only be satisfied in Him. In Psalm 16, David is in a valley. He's going through something hard, but he's confident in life or death that he will delight in God for all of eternity because he's delighted in God in the present. And that's my main point this morning. We can be confident that we will delight in God for all eternity if we delight in Him in the present. As I studied this week, one author and commentator said it like this. Maybe this is easier for you to remember. He says, Psalm 16 teaches this, desire determines destiny. I want to nuance that because there's two kinds of desire. You can desire a root canal because your tooth hurts really bad, but it's terrifying. If you hate the dentist like me, the smells and the pain and they're going to hit the nerve and it's horrible, but you desire it. That's not the kind of the desire that the Bible speaks of or that author was talking about. It's the kind of desire for a, an amazing bowl of Tillamook ice cream or going out on a hike, or spending time with your spouse, with your kids, in the Word. It's a delight-motivated desire. I've divided the text into five sections. Here they are. We see a desire for God's help, a delight in God's people, a delight in God, present results of delight in God, and future hope of delight in God. I'll re-say those if you're a note taker. So first, let's look at his desire for God's help in verses 1 and 2. David starts by praying for preservation. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Again, we don't know the circumstance. Maybe he's afraid for his life based on verse 10. He thinks maybe he's going to die. But he cries out to God, which is the Hebrew word El, which means God Almighty. David says, Preserve me, Almighty God, because in you I take refuge. God has got, David has gone to God for help because God is his God. I know that sounds simple, but it's true. And then he preaches to himself in verse 2. That's something I really learned to do here at the crossing. 
And you guys didn't make it up. The pastors didn't make it up. I don't think Jerry Bridges made it up preaching to yourself. I think God made it up because we see it all over the Psalms to preach to ourselves. So in verse 2, here's his mini sermon. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now he is saying this to God, but it's also a reminder to himself. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now you see the two words, the two different lords there, if you're reading in the ESV, that they're different. The first one is in all caps, and the second one isn't. The first lord there in all caps is the the Hebrew word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. When God reveals himself to Moses, he says, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, I am Yahweh. And the second lord there is the Hebrew word Adonai, which means sovereign master. So here's what David is saying, I say to Yahweh, you are my master. This is slavery language. David is saying, God, you own me. I'm yours. I live to obey you and to be taken care of by you. And then he says, I have no good apart from you. David knows anything good that he has has been given to him by God. As another psalmist says of God, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. This is God speaking. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And James says in chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And any good that he could have, were it apart from God, would be worthless. Jesus says you can gain the world and lose your soul. Also, I thought this was interesting, the commentaries by the Puritans and especially the Reformers make sure to remind us that this statement includes our own goodness. They were in a pretty big battle with the Catholic Church at the time, and they say we would not have any goodness apart from God, even inherent in ourselves. Goodness does not originate in us, nor do we add goodness upon our salvation as if it were lacking. It is God who works goodness in us. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What a good reminder to us, a miniature sermon. The race of faith is tough. You guys have just finished Hebrews, coincidentally, at Windsor Community Church. We were right behind you guys in Hebrews, so I got to plug in, and we went through Hebrews. And it's all about a race, right? Jesus is better, and you've got to run this race hard, and the race is tough. And any of us who've walked the path or run the race for any amount of time knows that. When the race gets tough, this is a good way for us to start our prayer. Help me, God, my Master. I take refuge in you and you alone, no one else. No thing else, any good I have is from you. And if I am preserved in life or death, it can only come from you. So that's David's initial plea. It's a desire for help. And from here on, he's describing why he can have confidence that God will preserve him. Because he delights in God and the things that God delights in. So let's look at his delight in God's people Verses 3 and 4 and his non-delight in those who aren't the people of God. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Initially, this could be a confusing verse. Who are the saints? And did the Holy Spirit inspire David to be an idolater by delighting in the saints more than God? 
So first, the saints. At the time for David, he meant Israel. The people of God. The set-apart ones. For us, we're not Roman Catholic. We don't believe in two classes of Christians, saints and lay Christians. Every Christian is a saint. And a saint means a set-apart one. As I said, the people of God. One author, commentator, said they are the Hasidim, the humble recipients of God's steadfast love. I loved that. The humble recipients of God's steadfast love. David delights in the saints. They are excellent. But obviously, he doesn't delight in them more than God. That's not what the Holy Spirit meant in inspiring that verse. But when compared to other people, namely the people in verse 4 that he's about to compare them to. But question before we get to verse 4, do you delight in your fellow Christians? And specifically your brothers and sisters who are the crossing church? I know if you've been born again and you call this place home, you delight in these people. You delight to be here. I hope you're in a life group and you delight to be there in the middle of the week, every week. But there are many, sadly, in our culture, those who say that they follow Jesus and delight in God, but they don't like or love the saints. Have you met one of these people? Or maybe, by God's providence, you are one of those people? I offer you this illustration, if that's you or if you know someone like that. You don't truly love me if at best you dislike my wife or at worst you hate her. Audrey and I are one. We do everything together. If you invite me to dinner, you're inviting her to dinner as well. Occasionally, maybe we'll have a guy's night, but usually Audrey's coming along with me. I actually lost a deep, deep friendship like this as I got married to Audrey. A couple friends told me that my former best friend really didn't like Audrey that much, thought she was the wrong one, and she had changed me. And I said, dude, I've picked her, and she's picked me. So you're not loving me or being a friend to me if you don't love Audrey. And it's the same way, brothers and sisters, with the church. If we delight in God, we delight in the things, the people that He delights in. If you've been born again, you delight in the people of God even even if or when they've really hurt you. I know many people in here have been church hurt. Audrey and I, that's a big part of our story, had been really church hurt before coming here. But just because some saints hurt our feelings doesn't mean we throw them out or the church in general out. In verse 4, David compares the other kind of people, namely those who run after other gods. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The path of the one who runs after other gods is full of sorrows that only multiplies. David has seen this firsthand. Maybe it's too much speculation, but maybe he would even acknowledge that he has been one who multiplied his sorrow by chasing after another god. Think Bathsheba. Think of his own sin. Part of my story is a a life of multiplied sorrows for 26 years, pursuing other gods and things that the world said would save and satisfy for many of you as well. David doesn't want anything to do with the worship of those who don't worship Yahweh. He won't participate in their worship, pour out their drink offerings, or even take the names of their gods on his lips. And if he won't even take their names on his lips, he obviously isn't worshiping them 
or going to them for refuge or delighting in them. One commentator says, David will not partake with them in neither life nor lip. Are we this serious about idolatry? Or do you find yourself pretty comfortable around idolatrous worship? One commentator said this, If, like Peter, you have no difficulty warming your hands at the fire of those who are hostile to your master, it is because you are far from him. Now, I have to offer a missional nuance. We should stay on mission where we live, work, learn, and play. We couldn't go to the hockey rink if we didn't like bad language. You couldn't go to the local bar wherever you go if you didn't like bad language or being around people that drink. But we need to stay salt and light. Be the influencer, not be influenced. If God has called you to, to, to be on mission at a biker bar, you don't win those people by having 12 shots every Friday and Saturday night with them. You go and love on them. Drink a beer. I think that's okay. The Bible doesn't say you're not allowed to drink. Just don't get drunk. Don't pour out a drink offering to that God. The saint delights in the fellow saints because God delights in them. And that's a way we delight in God is by delighting in His people. But the saint ultimately truly and fully delights in God. This is verses 5 and 6. If I had a sub-point here, it would be delight in God and gratitude for His gifts. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. God is what David wants. It's who David desires and delights in. The words David uses in verses 5 and 6 are words used in the distribution of the promised land. When Israel conquered the promised land, the Lord gave each tribe a portion or an allotment, except the tribe of Levi. Numbers 18.20, the Lord says this to the tribe of Levi, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. David is saying, I'm like the tribe of Levi. God, you're my portion. You're what I want. Brothers and sisters, this is the essence of Christianity. This is the acid test of your faith. One pastor says it like this, one of the best sermons I've ever heard. If you want to know who it was and where to find it, I'll tell you after. The most basic distinction and essential distinction between the church and the world is not new decisions of the will, new deeds of the hands, or new doctrines in the mind, but a new delight in the heart. I've listened to that sermon probably five times. Oh, how Tyler Dell and I and many others will preach against nominal Christianity until the day we die. The foundation of Christianity is not a decision. It's a delight. Yes, a decision is part of it, but it's not the foundation. The foundation is when God gives you a new heart and you say, I want to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's another way of saying I delight in you. Your guys' mission statement is this, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of of his people. If you want your people to hemorrhage it, you got to bleed it. Right, Aaron? They get this. The joy of his people. Following a Jesus Christ is a joyful thing. Can you echo David? 
Is God your ultimate delight, your chosen portion? In verse 6, David does acknowledge the gifts of God and the good that he has from God. It's almost like he says, I'm a tribe of Levi, but I'm also like one of the other tribes because the lines have fallen for me in beautiful places, in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David can't contain his gratitude, or can I continue to say his delight in God's good gifts. David is thankful for the land and home. God gives many good gifts. Do you often find gratitude for the gifts you've been given rising to God? Food trucks and parks, good gifts. But do you ultimately find your delight in God outweighs your delight in His gifts? Are you holding so tightly to Him that if He gives you a gift, praise His name, and if He takes a gift or doesn't give you a gift, then praise His name? I pray that that would be you. David has gone to God for refuge and preservation because God is his sovereign master. He delights in the people of God and the gifts of God, but ultimately in God himself. And in verses 7 and 8, he describes some of the present results of his delight in God. Also verse 9, I'll explain that here in a minute. Which are namely the, the present results of his delight in God are many, but he describes two of them, counsel and security. So first, verse 7, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. We can't cherry pick this verse out of context. The Lord does counsel his people in many ways. But I believe David is specifically referring to the counsel of delighting in God. Choosing God as his portion. He blesses God for giving him this counsel. And the word bless, when it comes from man to God, means to kneel in adoration. He praises God for this counsel. Lord, thank you for giving me the ability to say, you're my God. I choose you. David adores God for enabling him to delight in God. And this desire and delight have become so ingrained and internalized in David that even in the night it flows out of his heart. His heart instructs him. And the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, does the same in us. By God's grace, delight in Him becomes so ingrained in us, it's as natural as a beating heart. And because of this counsel, delighting in God, David knows he can stand secure. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So what does it mean? What did it mean that David set the Lord before him? What does it mean for us? Obviously, David wasn't setting the Lord before him physically and literally. I think Moses is like one of the only ones who saw God, right? And it was his backside. I believe what this means is setting the Lord before you in desires, priorities, thoughts, and actions. Maybe I'm forgetting one. The thoughts, desires, delight of and in God always accompany every other thought, desire, or delight. Or at least that's the hope, right? You can't think about anything without thinking about God as well in that thought. Nothing comes before God. And nothing is sought more or delighted in more than God. Nothing before, nothing more. So so David knows he can rest secure. God is at his right hand, so he knows he will not be shaken. To be shaken, one author said this, or to be at at someone's right hand is to be their advice in court, support in battle, or companion for a journey. God is all those things, so David won't be shaken. What does he mean by that? 
He doesn't mean that everything will always be hunky-dory. If he believed that, he wouldn't have written Psalm 16. Because remember, the fountainhead of this psalm is a prayer for preservation. It's going to be hard. David knows that. You know that. But I ask you this, do you praise God for enabling you to delight in Him above everything else? Do you have confidence that He will never allow you to be ultimately shaken? To lose your delight completely in Him? Do you seek to set the Lord always before you? To spend time in the Word and prayer and singing alone and with the church? If God is your ultimate delight, then you do. Look, I've had, I've had a season recently of, of staying up late trying to spend some more time with Audrey, but what's happened is my morning quiet times with the Lord have suffered for that. It's kind of a tension we all wrestle with, but this past week, I really said, I'm fighting for those times. I don't care how, how late I go to bed, and I got up, and I sought the Lord, and I'm telling you, I had some of the best days that I've had in a long time this week, because I sought the Lord. I, I needed Him. I needed to be happy in Him before I started my day. I was way happier with less sleep. Spend time with the Lord. Seek to be satisfied in Him whenever you do that. It doesn't have to be early mornings. Now before we move to to point five, I have to be honest. I struggled with where to put verse nine. It could go in point number four as a present result of delight in God. Because it is. But it's tied to verse ten with the word for. So his present delighting is rooted in his future confidence of perfect delighting. Uh, So I guess verse 9 will be our transition verse. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices, and my flesh also dwells secure. David is confident that the Lord will preserve him. His delight in God, God's people, God's gifts, gives him assurance that he belongs to God. And will someday experience perfect delight. So he rejoices. Every aspect of his being rejoices in God. But he ends the verse by saying that his flesh dwells secure. Did David think that he wasn't going to die physically? We'll come back to that. Point number five. The future hope of delight in God. Verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So I guess David didn't think he was going to die. Was he that naive? Certainly not. He did die physically. His body did see corruption. There was a spiritual and far application for David, but a literal and near application to Christ. David did die physically, but not spiritually. David didn't experience spiritual corruption, and David is still alive because his sins were put on Christ. And someday David will get a new body that will never see corruption again, just like we will get new bodies. But the direct and literal application of this verse is to Christ. David was speaking prophetically of Christ, and again, more on that in a minute. The final verse, a favorite of mine, and I know for many of us in here, is verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has and had revealed to David and to mankind the path of life. Not just physical 
surviving life, but spiritual, abundant life, thriving life. And that path, the path of life, ends at the house of Zion, the new Jerusalem, the city of God where we will live in the presence of God. And in His presence, our joy will be full, and in His right hand will be pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't offer meager offerings. I love what Tyler said last week. Some of us may think God will offer skim milk and lukewarm water and what else, Tyler? Hot dogs and what, not good things at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not going to be like that. And I know you all know that. It's going to be beyond our imagination. And in this life, we get appetizers of delight in God, but in heaven, we get the feast. We walk in this life with imperfect but intentioned delight in God. But in the next, perfect delight in God. No more sin inhibiting our joy in Him. Our sin is the reason we come to these gatherings and we sing songs about the gospel and we go, meh. Can't wait for the Avs to play tonight. Can't wait for the Broncos. Can't wait for this other thing that I'm honestly a little more excited for. And when we're there, there'll be none of that. We'll, we'll see Him for who He is and we'll have no sin inhibiting our perfect joy and delight in Him. And we can't wait for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. We as David, gain much joy now because of the future guarantee of the joy that is to come. But all of this is impossible apart from the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Both Peter and Paul cite the last verses of Psalm 16 as a prophecy of the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to read from, from Acts 2 quite a bit, but it's worth it. Acts 2, verse 22, Peter, in his famous sermon, says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I won't reread those. You can look down at your Bible and see what he quoted. Verses 8 through 11. And then he continues. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Paul in Acts 13, he cites verse 11 making the same argument. This is a prophecy that Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. But apart from the gospel, brothers and sisters, this whole sermon could have been misunderstood as law. I've told you, delight in God, and if you don't, you won't be in heaven. 
I hope that's not totally what you've heard. Jesus Christ is the only one who can truly pray and say this psalm and any other psalm. You've heard the psalms maybe called the songs of Jesus. They're ultimately his songs. He's the one who can perfectly pray and sing these psalms. Jesus Christ is the only innocent person who ever lived who truly needed refuge, who perfectly obeyed the Father, who truly lived and believed he had no good apart from God. He perfectly delights in the saints. He never wavered in his delight in God. He always and perfectly had the Lord set before him. His body didn't see corruption. And he was raised from the dead three days after his death, and he ascended to the Father where Jesus Christ has full and forever joy. And through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are enabled to delight in God now. It's such a gift. And someday we'll delight in him fully and forever. And this changed my life, brothers and sisters. And it'll change yours when you really grab this. I am called to be happy in God There's nothing else that will satisfy. Being happy and following Jesus are not separate paths. It's the same path. Doesn't this make you happy and cry happy tears? That's what these are. Should we Christians be said to be the happiest people on earth? Yes, there are trials in this life. There are sorrows. Some people struggle with depression. But like Paul, can't we say sorrowful? yet always rejoicing. Can't we rejoice that it's not about perfectly delighting in God, but pursuing it? Something we say a lot at Windsor Community Church, we say it's about direction and affection, not perfection. Jesus lived the perfect life for you. The heavenly feast of perfect delight in God comes with wonderful earthly appetizers. And I believe with all of my heart that you and I are commanded to pursue and enjoy them. Delight yourself in the Lord. Isn't that what you just said a little bit ago? Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. And when you're delighted in Him, He's the desire of your heart. That's what He's going to give you. That's what the Gospel gives us. Christ died to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 Friends of the Crossing Church, brothers and sisters, you know the things of this world don't save and they don't satisfy. Only God does. And you can be confident that your delight in Him now is evidence that you will delight in Him for all eternity. So I leave you with this quote from George Mueller. Many of you have heard it. He says this. I love it. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. May you give your lives to that as well. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning with these precious saints. We, we praise you for what you've done through Christ. Lord, you have, you've given us grace You've given us your son and, and you've enabled us to enjoy you and to delight in you, to be captivated and satisfied in you. And just pray, Lord, that these brothers and sisters would do that. I pray if, there, if there's any here who, who don't follow Jesus, that you would cause them to be born again and give them a new desire of the heart and that they would make a decision of their will to follow you and to repent of their sins. 
pray again your blessing over this church body, this family of mine. I pray you continue to enable them to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of your people. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.